Welcome to Hope Talks Podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. We would love your feedback and invite you to take a short, anonymous survey. You can find the link to the survey in the show notes. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. As most of you know, I'm the outreach pastor here at the Church of the Nazarene in Harrisonburg at our Harrisonburg campus. And today's Hope Talks uh, broadcast is a little bit different because we're sharing a testimony of someone that has been on here before, but recently at a Celebrate Recovery meeting, uh, Lewis Roberts shared his testimony about what God had done. He shared about his life. In this testimony that he shared is a testimony of his healing. And the way it works with Celebrate Recovery, when you share a testimony, we always talk about who we were before we met the Lord, what our life looked like, what our hurts and our hangups and our struggles were. And then we talk about coming to know Christ. And then we talk about that transforming work of grace that happens as believers. And today is a beautiful story of God meeting someone at their lowest. You know, our mission statement here at the church is transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ. And this is a beautiful picture of what that looks like in the life of a believer. Now, I want to say, when we become a believer, for those listening that follow the Lord and have accepted Him um, as your Savior, you know that life doesn't just get perfect all of a sudden, but that God begins a work in you, and He begins to show us things that we need to work on, and He brings people into our life as we're vulnerable and transparent, and His desire for us is to come into community to be healed. And today, as you listen to this story of God's transforming grace. This is a story that God continues to transform. This is a story. This is a life that as long as Lewis is on this earth, God will continue to redeem him and to reveal to him things that need to be changed to be more like Christ. That is a journey that happens the rest of our life. And, you know, as this is being broadcasted on Easter Sunday, um, we're starting a series called Stories. And this is a story that uh, Lewis is willing to share. He shared this. It's vulnerable. It's transparent. And he shared this recently at Celebrate Recovery. And he said to me after he shared, he said, you know, I'm okay with sharing this other places. And so today you get to hear a little bit more about Lewis. And, you know, God has a call on Lewis's life. And it is beautiful to watch as God does this transformation. And Lewis and his wife Ashley and their son Liam all lean in to the Lord and are healing from years of hurt and pain and they are leaning in and today you get a front row seat to hear what God is doing in the life of Lewis Roberts and his family. I pray that as you listen, this will bring hope to you and it will help you to have hope 
for maybe people that you love that have not yet said yes to Jesus. Listen to the story of God's transforming work. Thank you for listening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night, Lord. We thank you for the people that's made it. We thank you for the people that are still coming. Uh, we just ask that you watch over the ones that weren't able to make it tonight, Lord. Uh, just bless this evening. We know that you're in this room. When two or more are gathered, you're there. And uh, we're just thankful for that, Lord. And uh, we love you and we praise you in your precious and holy name. Amen. 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 All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's uh, get up and share his testimony this evening. Uh, you know, he's been here for three years now, and he's been really active in this program. And uh, it's been a blessing for him to reach out to me and uh, to get him here and all the people in CR that made it possible for him and Liam to come down here. Uh, it's just amazing how we prayed over him and uh, got him down here and showed him a new life. And boy, is he thriving with it. So come on up, guys. Good evening. Good evening. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who has set me free from a 17-year drug addiction. And today I struggle with self-doubt, self-worth, and a deep anxiety of public speaking. <laughs> and my name is Lewis. So usually the tradition is when people share their testimony, there's an applause at the end. And I just want everyone to know that it's okay to applaud for me, but I want you to truly applaud for Jesus Christ, our yeah. Lord and Savior. Yeah. Because without Him, I wouldn't be here and this wouldn't be possible. And I also wanted to thank my uh, aunt and uncle for driving all the way from Milton, West Virginia to watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> but mostly to be here this evening and witness my testimony. And I wanted to thank my great aunt, Charlotte Hoover, for opening her home to me and my son almost three years ago. My name is Lewis. I was born in July of 1987 to Lewis and Kelly Roberts in Kansas City, Kansas. I was born with scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine. I'm telling you this because it relates to my life story and testimony. As a child, I went to church with my great-grandparents and spent the weekends at their home. I got my foundation of Jesus Christ through them. At home, however, was a different story. In the middle of 1990, my dad was arrested for cocaine and drug possession. At the time, my mother was pregnant with my younger sister. I remember my dad seeing my sister for the first time behind glass. I didn't know it at the time, but this would be a part of my future as well. While my sister was being born, I was sent to my mom's dad's house, where I was molested for the next few days by my grandfather. At the age of five and six, I started sneaking puffs of cigarettes that were left in the ashtray while my mother was cooking. Around the same time, I realized that my mother was sick. I had witnessed her passed out from low blood sugars due to diabetes, and she was unresponsive. At that young of age, I thought she was dead. My dad came home shortly after the ambulance came as well. She spent a lot of her time and her life in and out of the hospital. I remember in school I was always afraid to go because I feared coming home and finding my mother the same way again, or maybe even worse. Teachers were starting to notice my physical attributes of the scoliosis, and their concern became greater. They also started to notice my behavioral changes 
and at the age of nine, I was removed from my parents' home and placed into state's custody. I was moved between foster home and boys' homes. I struggled to fit in due to the scoliosis, which led me to fighting. I was kicked out of 32 boys' homes over the next five years. And over this time, my scoliosis progressed dramatically worse. And on my 14th birthday, I had emergency corrective surgery to correct a 76 degree curvature of my spine that was pressing on my left lung and my heart. The doctor gave me a 50% chance of living through the surgery and a 25% chance of ever walking again. Today, I have beat those odds. It wasn't easy. For the next year of my life, while living in boys' homes, I was bound to a wheelchair. I remember beating on my legs until my arms could not, I could not lift them. I just wanted to fit in. I was made fun of a lot. And eventually I was able to walk using a walker. And as soon as I didn't need that walker, I was back to fighting every person that ever made fun of me. During this time, my mom was in the hospital, fighting for her life. I had no visitation privileges due to the fighting. The only person that I was allowed to see was the pastor from my grandparents' church where I was raised. He was able to bring me a personalized Bible. In the Bible, Pastor Pruitt wrote, this Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will surely keep you from this Bible. That was dated on January 17th of 2000. Pay attention to that date. While still in the same boy's home, I continued to fight everyone that ever doubted me or said anything mean about me. All I wanted to do was be accepted and to fit in. The only one that I thought accepted me were the older ones, the much tougher ones. Soon after I began to work the program to gain my privileges back, I was eventually able to visit my mother in the hospital as her health was declining, I was reading this Bible. Still working the program, no longer fighting because I had nothing left to prove. I completed the program and had to go to one more boys' home. There I was granted weekend visits with my parents. My mom's health appeared to be getting better as she was put on dialysis due to kidney failure. Finally, at the age of 16, I completed that program. I was allowed to move back home with my parents. My dad was no longer the same person as I remembered. He no longer ran the household like a military boot camp. He became more my friend than my father. During this time, I had smoked weed with my dad and my friends for the first time. I thought he was the coolest dad in the world. He began teaching me how to weigh up and to sell drugs. He would allow my friends a safe place to drink and to use drugs, or so he said. My popularity in school was on the rise, but not for athletic or academic reasons, but because my house was known for the party house. I eventually started selling harder drugs like crack cocaine and methamphetamines. I got mixed up with the wrong kind of people. And one day after school, I sold drugs to a woman that I had never met, and she robbed me for $275. Terrified to go back to that dealer shorthanded because of the things that I had seen him do to other people. 
for far less money than what I owed. I raced back to my house where my dad was gone, attending my mother in dialysis, and I got his gun. I raced back across town. When I seen her, I opened fire as she was driving past, striking her vehicle several times and an undersheriff that was right behind her. Needless to say, I didn't make it home that evening. I was arrested and charged with aggravated discharge of a firearm at an occupied dwelling vehicle with the intent to do great bodily harm. I was put on house arrest in a waiting court when our house was raided, and that's when I took all the charges for my dad and for me so that my dad could be free to take care of my mom. I was sentenced to 26 months in prison. Soon after my arrest, my mom was put into the hospital where she would have over a dozen surgeries over the next year. During my sentence on January 17th, 2005, my mother passed away due to surgical complications. She was 36 years old and I was 17. Bitter and angry with the world and my circumstances, I accepted this cycle of life and how it would be for me forever, or so I thought. I was allowed to attend my mother's funeral in chains and shackles, but in May of 2005, I was released from prison early due to good time and good behavior. However, during my incarceration, my father had lost the home that I had known as home and most of its contents. So coming home felt nothing like home. I didn't have a bedroom at this new residence. I slept on a sofa in the living room. I had no clothes except for what I was released from prison in. My father didn't welcome me back home the way that I expected he would. We just picked up right where we left off, doing drugs and selling even more drugs. Upon being released from prison, I also found out that my father had a girlfriend and had been seeing her while my mother was in the hospital. It just so happened to be the mother of the girl that I had been dating prior to my arrest. I felt angry and betrayed by my father because I had spent a total of 18 months in prison so that he could take care of my mother. And all the while he failed and he was having an affair. Despite my feelings, I stayed because I had no money, I had no job, and I had nowhere to go, and he supplied all the drugs that I wanted. I continued dating the girl that I had been seeing, and in 2007, she had my first child, my daughter Audrey. We got an apartment in the next town over, which was an income-based housing. I worked a part-time job at McDonald's and a part-time job at a pizza shop. I also sold drugs full-time. We spent the next few years in an on-again, off-again, very toxic relationship. I ended up in jail again for drug possession, driving without a valid license. That was my first charge as an adult. I got out of jail moved back to my dad's, where he gave me the Bible that I had received years earlier when I was in boys' homes. Still angry with God and all of my life circumstances, I put this Bible 
in a drawer and didn't look at it for years. I spent a few more times in and out of jail, and in 2011, while I was in Colorado with some friends on vacation, I saw a story on the news about a family back in Kansas that perished in a house fire. Having not seen my daughter in several months and hearing of this story on the news, I prayed for the first time in years. Fast forwarding three months, I met that same woman whose children and husband had died in that house fire. And in that moment, I knew that God had brought us together in our brokenness. She became my safe place to run. I eventually quit my job at McDonald's and moved out of my dad's house for the last time. I was still on probation and absconded for the next four years. During this time, we were both addicted to drugs and alcohol and in a very toxic relationship. And I was still on the run from the law. Ashley gave birth to my second child, my son Liam. The past always has a way of catching up. I was arrested for a warrant that was almost five years old on Christmas when my son was just a year old. I was taken to jail where I was until after the new year. I was bonded out on the 2nd of January. For the next several years of our lives, we spiraled out of control in addiction. I had several jobs, but due to the drugs, I could not keep them. The only thing I knew how to do was to sell drugs. I didn't think that there was a better way. And if there was, I knew I couldn't do it on my own. During this time, my dad was in and out of jail and in prison. His health was declining and he went on dialysis. On April 3rd, 2017, the same day that my house was raided back in 2004, I was arrested for distribution of methamphetamine. If I was convicted, I was looking at 144 minimum months to 196 maximum months. However, the judge was lenient and suspended my sentence due to there being a gap in the time of my last time being in trouble. Instead, he gave me two years of probation, intensive supervised probation, and I had to register as a drug offender for the next 20 years, during which I was still continuing to get high. I did several sanctions in jail and two stays in rehab. I saw two therapists over the next couple years and spent four months in prison for my last sanction. During this time, Ashley brought my son and my father to see me. I didn't know it at the time, but it would be the last time that I saw my dad, and it was through glass. On January the 2nd of 2019, my dad passed away while I was incarcerated. When I got out, I was even angrier with the world and with myself. I didn't want to live anymore. I spent every day trying to get as high as I possibly could. My relationship with Ashley was falling apart, and I was pushing her away and everyone else that ever cared about me. I wanted so desperately to know another way. I remember laying on the floor and crying about my life and realizing that I had done nothing, absolutely nothing with it. I realized that out of 180 contacts in my phone, not a single one did not use drugs. I needed someone to talk to 
that knew me, that knew about my life. So I reached out to my cousin, Nathan Carr. I told him about my situation, and he shared with me about him looking at 20 years. He told me that I needed to pray and ask God into my life and ask God for forgiveness. I didn't want to hear that. However, one night when I was at the end of myself, I did just that. I hit my knees, and with all my heart, I poured it out to God and asking Him to come into my life and to make things new. That would be the last time I talked to Nathan or to God for another nine months. November 2019, I completed probation. I started going to church and taking my son with me at the same church where I was raised back in Olathe, Kansas. I stopped selling and doing drugs. I thought I was finally turning my life around, but then COVID hit. I could no longer go to church. I relapsed. This is when I hit my rock bottom, and I hit it hard. Ashley left me as she got clean, and while she was away, I had several suicide attempts. One day I saw that Nathan was on Messenger, and I reached out to him one more time. In desperation and done with my life, he told me what God had done for him and about a program called Celebrate Recovery. Later that night, he held a Zoom meeting with the other leaders from Celebrate Recovery and told them about my situation and how I was suicidal, and they all prayed for me. They didn't even know me. God saved me that night. I didn't know it, but he saved me. On May the 20th of 2020, my son and I boarded a plane to Virginia with just two duffel bags of clothes to start over a new life in Christ. God had a plan for my life and for my family and for my future all along. One day at a fishing trip to Switzer Lake, my son asked if we could kneel next to the water and to pray for his mother to come to Virginia and for us to all be a family. On June 15th of 2020, Ashley arrived in Virginia. We began doing the recovery thing, attending Celebrate Recovery and New Life Recovery at Grace Covenant as a family. We began in our healing process of our pasts, starting a new life together in Christ. And on August the 22nd, Pastor Margaret would marry me and Ashley in the same exact place that my son and I prayed a few months before for Ashley to come and be a family. I have been baptized here in this exact church where we attend church regularly. I've completed a step study I became a leader for Celebrate Recovery for the men's addiction group. I have led a step study and just completed it. I will be three years sober in May. Amen. My wife. my wife and I are currently leading Life's Healing Choices right here in this room every Sunday morning for the next four weeks. My faith and my relationship with Jesus grow stronger every day. 
have some scripture. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. And this one here really stuck out to me because of that Zoom meeting that they held and prayed for me before they ever even knew me. It says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayers offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. James 5, 14 through 15. Thank you for letting me share. And I am in recovery, um, 22, I think, I can, um, years, and God's still working on me, still a work in progress. And my name is Margaret. Wow. Our mission statement here is transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ. This is a picture of what the church is about. This is what it means to have community. We all need it. Amen. Um, God is restoring the years that the locust have eaten Amen. in Lewis and Ashley's life Amen. and in Liam's. Amen. What a happy boy. Uh, there's been some amazing healing that's happened in his life in Celebration Place and healing between you and your son. Absolutely. God's at work. Um, there's not much I can add to that. Man, thank you for being brave tonight. Mm -hmm. Amen. Because you helped a lot of people. And if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, mm -hmm. and we trust him and we seek him with all of our heart, the word says in Jeremiah 29, everybody likes to go to Jeremiah 29 11, right? <laughs> you have a plan and a purpose. God's got a plan for what's true. However, when we seek him with all of our heart, he will be found by us, right? Amen. Declares the Lord. Amen. We have a God that pursues us. Amen. We believe that. He pursues us every day of our life until we go home to glory. So thank you. Thank you for being transparent with us and giving us some hope. Um, people in the room needed to hear that tonight. Lord, I just thank you tonight um, that your word is true. I thank you, God, that you are still at work in this seemingly dark world. That you are still transforming lives. In Isaiah 6, the angels are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we would look around today in this world and say, is that true? Well, absolutely. It's the word of God. Yes. It depends where we're looking. And so today, God, I pray that you would help us not to be, as you called the Israelites, stiff-necked people, and just look around. But God, that you would help us to look up and see you high and lifted up. 
and know that you love us with an everlasting love, that you have a plan and a purpose for us. But you call us not to only lean in and say, yeah, that's right, you have a plan and a purpose. You call us to seek you. You call us to repent of the past and to change our direction, to change our mind. To repent means to change our mind. And we have a picture of that tonight, of what it looks like to do that about face and walk away from sin and towards God. And so tonight, God, I pray that if there is anyone here that is struggling, that they would have the conversations tonight, that they would know that there is hope even in their seemingly hopeless situations, that you want to meet them not where they pretend to be, but exactly where they are. And so, Father, as we go to our groups, I pray that we can have good conversation about what this means to each one of us. And God, I pray that you would give us new freedom as we trust you on a deeper level than ever before. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I pray that as you've heard Lewis Roberts' testimony today, that it has been a half hour of hope for your life. And I want to leave you with this final scripture verse on this Easter Sunday. It comes from John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus was talking to Martha. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? And so that's the question I want to leave you with today. Do you believe this? Happy Easter. May God bless. Hope Talks is sponsored by Church of the Nazarene Harrisonburg in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Hope Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates in the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.